This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome to the program once again. Uh, Round two started last night. We'll get to the Florida Panthers and the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll get to the Seattle Kraken and Joe Pavelski. I mean, Dallas Stars. Uh, That's coming up in a couple of moments here. Want to let you know, as of 35 or 36 minutes ago, Elliot was still poised to kick off the program today, but then I got a phone call from Frage begging off. Um, and I, I, I never I never really know whether I should always, you know, sort of disclose why. I mean, there's some times where Elliot just can't do it, and he's sort of a staple to kick off the show today. So Elliot is, uh, I don't want to use the on assignment line before. Too many people in this industry just say when someone's absent or doing something else or sick uh, or in court, <laughs> they say <laughs> on assignments. <laughs> yeah, the on assignment. He's doing some ironing. Of his couch with his ass. That's his assignment. Um, no, Elliot is uh, is off today doing something. Uh, how can I be really vague about this? Something that relates to hockey that is probably really cool that will probably show up on your televisions. How about that? In one way or another. Televisions, podcasts, and this radio show. So Elliot doesn't kick it off today. Uh, John Bartlett coming up from the NHL on Sportsnet at the bottom of the hour here and also from Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, we'll talk about that wild one last night in Dallas. Like, that's how you make a comeback. Unfortunately, four goals wasn't enough. When you think of four goals, yes, you can always insert the Joe Thornton line. Shout out Jason Botchford. And if you don't get that reference, check it out online. It's very good. Uh, John Bartlett stops by. We'll talk about a couple of things with Bart's. So he called the game last night. We'll talk about the um, the Dallas Stars um, and the Seattle Kraken, just like a wild, crazy, up, down, topsy-turvy game. We'll get to that. Also, uh, when I first met Bartz, this would have been ah, 2005. I had heard him before as a broadcaster when he, used to, uh, when he used to do play-by-play for the Barry Colts of the OHL. So I was very familiar with his work until I finally met him. And this is when the St. John's Maple Leafs moved to Toronto to the then Rico, now Coca-Cola Coliseum. Uh, and they became the Toronto Marlies, the AHL affiliate of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Bartz and I were the radio tandem for the, uh, for the Toronto Marlies at Rico Coliseum. He was the, uh, the play-by-play voice, and I was the, uh, the trusty color commentator at home and did a couple of games on the road. Anyway, Paul Maurice was the head coach of that Marlies team, so both of us, more so John, because that was his full-time gig, uh, more so John, hung out a lot and worked with and alongside and watched Paul Maurice uh, as the head coach of the Toronto Marlies. So we'll get some of his thoughts on Paul um, what he was like then, and we'll talk plenty about Paul Maurice today as his Florida Panthers walk into Toronto, a rink where he used to coach and took game one and front and center once again, Matthew Kachuk. And I'm going to apologize, by the way, in advance. If this sounds like the um, you know two hours of the Matthew Kachuk appreciation show, it probably will be. I'm just going to be blunt about it right now. Um, this is going to be one of those, let's see how hyperbolic we can be about Matthew Kachuk without completely embarrassing ourselves. But last night was another, make no mistake about it, command performance by Matthew Kachuk of the Florida Panthers. One of the best players in the game. Someone who, when all of our trophy balloting gets revealed after the trophies are awarded, you know, you'll find out how highly a lot of people, maybe even yours truly as well, 
feel about Matthew Kachuk and trophies like the heart. And, you know, you can make the argument that Matthew Kachuk is, is in the real race for the heart trophy because the race for the heart trophy is already done. There is no race. It's Connor McDavid, period. The only question we have about the heart trophy this year is, and we'll find out when everything gets revealed, is there one, is there one hot take artist who doesn't have Connor McDavid as his or her number one on the Hart Trophy. We're going to get to Edmonton here in a couple of seconds, Edmonton, Vegas tonight. But Matthew Kachuk is involved in the real Hart Trophy race, which is the runner-up. And there are a lot of great names you can throw around in consideration uh, for the runner-up, but Matthew Kachuk is well in there, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being the runner-up in the Hart Trophy this season. Anyway, John Bartlett stops by at the bottom of the hour. It's Wednesday, so that means MVSW for all you old-school podcast fans of the old MVSW podcast. Uh, Greg from ESPN, he is at breakup day today in New York, and we're starting to get some quotes and some comments from some of the players as well. Um, We know that Capo Caco is going to Finland for the Worlds, Filipino going to play for Czechia. Um, at the Worlds and, you know, a lot of players, obviously, in front and center, the captain, Jacob Truba, getting asked about Gerard Gallant and what the future is for Gerard Gallant. And uh, I take no delight in saying things like this, but it doesn't sound very good for Gerard Gallant with the New York Rangers. Is everything that happened completely Gerard Gallant's fault? No. Um, If you've heard me at any point over the course of my career, whether it's on radio, whether it's on podcast, whether it's on television, I always ask the same question when a coach is on the hot seat or when a coach gets dismissed. Is the problem with this team one of coaching or of composition? And some have made the argument with the New York Rangers, who now, by the way, when you measure them up against the New Jersey Devils, I think it really begs the question, you know, who is farther along in their rebuild and who is built for longer term success in their rebuild. The New York Rangers, we all remember the white towel. We all remember the letter to season ticket holders. Is it the Rangers or is it the New Jersey Devils? It's an interesting question. We'll get into that here in a couple of moments. Um, But I think you look at the New York Rangers and I don't think you can pin the whole thing on Gerard Gallant. But as we talked about on the program yesterday, somebody probably has to pay the price here. This is New York after all. We all know who the owner, James Dolan, is and how he behaves. And sometimes, you know, sometimes volcanoes want sacrifices. And that's just what the market wants. And I don't think anyone would be surprised if Gerard Gallant ended up walking the plank for this and then the New York Rangers, and there would have to be a lot of hurdles uh, that the Rangers went over and a lot of hoops to jump through, and there has to be an official reinstatement as well by the NHL. But I don't think any of us would be surprised if Gerard Gallant exited and the New York Rangers ended up bringing in Joel Quenville. We'll see where that one heads. So we'll talk to Wyshynski about uh, teardown day, uh, breakup day in New York with the New York Rangers, uh, and we'll finish up the program with uh, with a couple of what did we miss. Because e- even though this is a two-hour program, and it may sound daunting at times, like you do a hockey talk show every day for two hours, how do you find things to talk about? 
Normally, what we find here whenever Maddie Marchese, my producer, and I have conversations, it mainly revolves around, well, we didn't get to this and this and this and this and this. And I say the same thing. Maddie, I've been told I'm a bad host, and I prove it every time someone turns a microphone on. Speaking of Matt Marchese, uh, he joins me now um, for the next 25 minutes or so, leading up to John Bartlett and then Greg Wyshynski, and then all the things that I left out because I'm sloppy. How are you doing today, Maddie? I'm good. Uh, the next time we have a meeting with the bosses, can you bring that same mentality and say, you know, I'm a bad host, and then just leave it at that? Can you do that? <laughs> and then you come in as the gold standard. <laughs> well, you know, I'm fresh-faced Matt Marchese here. How you talked about Merrick 20 years ago is how they're talking about me now. Um, <laughs> so there's a – okay, you want to have a want to have a dumb conversation now? Well, I don't think it's dumb, but do you want to have a potentially dumb conversation now, or do you want to do it later? Like we have a lot to get to. So maybe I'm answering my own question. Let's park this for later on in the conversation. But I want to have a conversation with you that I tried to get Elliot to bite on during the podcast, and he wouldn't go there. Now, mind you, when we did the podcast last night, we didn't wrap up until 2.30 in the morning. So he was probably a little bit punchy and just wanted to finish things up and wasn't interested in my, you know, little picadellos about, you know, nuances in the rule book. But nonetheless, um, I want to talk to you a little bit in a little bit here about the Sam Bennett double minor at the end, Okay. You know, with Ryan okay. O'Reilly leaking and the double minor. Okay, so just bracket that for now. We'll park it till a little bit later on. But I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to make a point. And I know full well in my heart that I don't even know what the point that I'm trying to make is. More than I just want to raise it as a conversation piece and see where it goes and see where 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 people take it. Right? Like I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan. And this has sort of been my entire talk radio career. I'm not really interested in talking about things that have a, a terminal point. I just kind of want to throw things out there that encourages enough conversation and debate and just sort of goes wherever it goes. And then you get the feedback either by DMs or on Twitter or texts or whatever. And that becomes just the conversation. That's what interests me. Things that just have a yes or no or, or terminal point to the conversation, not interested. I'm curious to see what you do with this one, and I'm curious to see what the listeners slash viewers do with this one. So um, programming alert, potential dumb conversation coming up here in a couple of moments on the program. Uh, Maddie, was, what was the standout story for you last night? Was it the, uh, the Maple Leafs uh, not knowing what to do now that they're in the second round? Uh, was it Joe Pavelski's four goals? Shout out Jason Botchford. Was it the Seattle Kraken drawing first blood in their series? What was it last night for you? Well, firstly, I do want to point out uh, somebody made a, a, an hilarious joke about uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and saying they only lost last night because it was their yeah. seventh game of the playoffs. Very nice. That is very, very nice. well Technically, done. Technically, it was. Yes. So, but that wasn't Thank that you. wasn't the story. That wasn't the story last night. I think. I think the whole game. Like, if we look at the entirety of that Dallas Seattle game, I think. It had so many layers to it that that was by far mm -hmm. and away the story for me last night. So we know about Pavelski scoring yeah. the four goals. That's incredible. He's the oldest player in NHL history to score four goals in a playoff game. But and you and I kind of talked about this off the air in that it's it's the way he scored the four goals that is super impressive because, you know, it's four goals, four yeah. different ways. But for me, Joe Pavelski for the guy that they call too small, too slow, and too good, the too small part is interesting because a lot of the goals that Joe Pavelski scores are in areas that, quote-unquote, small guys do not go. 
you know, the tip on the first goal, mm-hmm. uh, the rebound, uh, or sorry, the second goal was a tip, the rebound on the third goal, and then, you know, just batting a puck out of midair. Well, not even batting, the redirecting bunt. a puck. Yeah, into the top the corner. Bunt. The bunt. Yeah. So he scores from areas that small guys do not score from. And I think that that about that about Joel Pavelski is super interesting. Yeah. You know, there was um, – it's interesting, too, because I thought the same thing. Um, four goals in four different ways for Joe Pavelski last night. You left out one descriptor as well, uh, another adjective as well, too slow. Yes. Like when you look at all the things that Joe Pavelski can't do uh, – or probably I shouldn't say that – that Joe Pavelski shouldn't be able to do – You'd swear he'd be already retired by now. Too old, too slow, to your point, too small, yet at the end of all of it, too good and continues to be too good. And that's just because whether it's um, Joe Pavelski playing hockey or as we saw when Elliot and I were in Dallas um, golfing or talking to Wyatt Johnson, who's who's living with Joe Pavelski and his family with the Dallas Stars um, basketball, this guy's just a supreme athlete. Like, at the end of it, Joe Pavelski is just that guy who was an awesome athlete, and whichever sport that he chose uh, to focus on, he was going to be great at it. Like, I know that there are a lot of players in the NHL that are like this. Like, you're just a supreme athlete in your athletics and your maybe in your, your genetics as well help get you through. But Joe Pavelski is the guy who just decided, I'm going to be a hockey player. I'm not going to be a baseball player. I'm not going to be a golfer. Although I do think that when he retires, like, Maddie, like, I know, like, you know, sweet tweet about golf. I am not a golfer as well. Anyone who's ever seen me knows the best two balls I hit is when I step on a rake. Like, I am not a golfer. <laughs> Never been interested. None of it. Got no no time for any of it. But I can respect a great golfer when I see a great golfer. And when Elliot and I were in Dallas, and Elliot, I, mean, I don't know if I've ever seen Elliot this terrified so we were doing features, and I was doing a feature with Jake Ottinger on the Tuesday or whatever it was, and our producer, Emil Delich, um, worked it out so Elliot could go and golf with Joe Pavelski. Like, think about how terrifying that is. Like, Elliot, you know, smashing up the course, and here's Joe Pavelski, you know, looking like he should be a pro. I'm watching Pavelski swing, and everybody says the same thing. Best golfer in the NHL. You should see the swing, Maddie. It's it's remarkable. So when this guy's all said and done with hockey, I wouldn't be surprised if he picks up, you know, uh, playing professional, playing golf professionally. That's just how good he is. Um, but the uh, the the thing about Pavelski is, and this is this should always scare Canadians specifically. For the longest time, in the United States, and I know a lot of people listening to this program are in the United States, and you can't say this isn't true because it is. For the longest time, hockey wasn't the sport that the best athletes chose, right? It was either football or it was baseball or it was, you know, track uh, or it was basketball. Like these were the sports that American kids mainly chose. And then, you know, somewhere down the ladder was hockey. But the frightening thing over the past, I don't know however, how, how many years it's been now, and I was probably kicked off, you know, with the inspiration that was the Miracle on Ice in 1980 at Lake Placid. The scary thing for the rest of the world now is you're seeing some of the best athletes stateside choose hockey first. And I think you see that with Joe Pavelski. And he is, yes, the classic late bloomer as well. Seventh round draft pick. 
I know the seventh, the history of the seventh round, as much as it is, you know, you look at it and you say, yeah, no one's playing in the seventh round. There are some pretty healthy players who had Hall of Fame careers that played in the seventh round, case in point, Joe Pavelski. He's just one of those guys who was, was a supreme athlete. No matter what he ended up doing, he was going to be great. Thankfully for hockey, he chose that sport. The other thing in that game, and you're right, by the way, about the four goals, four different ways, and that was, and I think it was a game, now that I think about it, so... The World Juniors in 2005 in Grand Forks, the moment that I looked, it it was the moment that I looked at Jeff Carter and I went, holy smokes, there's really something there with this kid. And I think it was the game, Maddie, against Finland where Jeff Carter had the hat trick and it was, you know, to the point that we were just making about Joe Pavelski, it was three goals, three different ways. And when you do that against, you know, best on best competition for that age group, you say to yourself, okay, there's really something there. And that was the moment that really cemented it for me, for Jeff Carter. Like, listen, dude's going to go and play in the NHL anyway. But where I looked at Jeff Carter and said, that is an elite, elite goal scorer. That is an elite, elite player. Three goals, three different ways. I think it was against Finland. Anyhow, the point about Pavelski was a good one. There's a couple of other things here. Um, both goaltenders stunk. <laughs> Just going to be honest. Like, didn't we look at Jake Ottinger and say, like, maybe outside of Igor Shosturkin, the best goaltender in the first round? Yeah. Yep. Did we not look at Philip Grubauer and say to ourselves, I don't think that there was a goalie in the opening round that did more for his team based on expectations, both uh, both from him and the team, more so than Philip Grubauer. And last night, they stunk. And they had identical save percentages in the game, 886. I don't know that we're going to get two clunkers like that again, from both of these goaltenders. I think this thing does uh, tighten up as the series goes on, but that was not that was nothing that Philip Grubauer was going to brag about. That was nothing that Jake Ottinger was going to brag about. Anything else jump out at you from the Dallas-Seattle game, Matty? Yeah, just on the on the goaltending. Actually, first of all, before, before I get there, I just wanted to add one thing on Joel Pavelski. The best part about his career is that his best years have come after the age of 29. That is, that's also a really impressive thing about Joel Pavelski. But on last night, we talked about the goaltending. So Jake Ottinger has allowed four goals in a playoff game only once in an, in another game in his career. He allowed four in the first period last night. The other one was in the previous series against Minnesota. The funny thing about all of this is, with with especially with Ottinger, I think that it was less about him having a, you know, a quote unquote bad game and more about man, Seattle fires from every line. Don't they? Like I was worried about them not having an elite (laughs) score and not like in the playoffs, you know, your stars step up and that's how you win. And I think that notion with this team is completely out the window because every night I look at the stat sheet, whether it's in the regular season or in the playoffs, it's not one guy has three points or one guy has two goals. It's this guy has a goal and an assist, and that's pretty much it. Everybody is a goal or an assist. It is, I think it was, I think it was Mike Rupp that said he brought it up as a point of this is why Seattle's gonna be very tough, a tough out in the playoffs. Is they had, I believe, 16 players with 25 or more points this year. And some people at home are going, oh, 25 points is not a lot. When 16 people have it, it's a lot. Um, so I, yeah. I think that just Seattle, the way that they, they come at you with every single line, all four lines have guys on them that can score. And last night again was another example of 
They don't need a star the way that they play because they got four yeah. lines that go. And I didn't think it was about necessarily Ottinger playing so poorly. I just think Seattle, the way that they're built, super interesting and on how we look at how teams are built. Now we can look at and a couple a couple of things here. Uh, one, I think that's because of how Dave Haxtall manages his bench. Uh, when you look at the forward group specifically, forwards don't get into the twenty minutes. Like they don't go, they don't go past twenty. They really don't go past nineteen or eighteen. Um, so the bench is really managed to the upper limit that way. And also, uh, their bottom guys. Like you look at the uh, you look at the fourth line, they don't get into single digits. Everything really sits well. Boston does this. Um, oh, interestingly enough, you know, Peter DeBoer and the Dallas Stars, they do this. Like, they, they never treat that, and they've never have treated that bottom line as just scraps or just meat. And you saw that with a player like Daniel Sprong, who in a fourth-line capacity scored 20 goals. And, you know, when you look at points per points per minute and goals per minute, no one had more this season than Daniel Sprong of the Seattle Kraken. Now, the other thing about all the goals coming from all over the place, people have pointed out, and it's kind of a PDO bender, PDO being the combination of shooting and save percentage. And while the goalie may stay hot, like the sticks kind of get cold sometimes. Like it does, it does happen, I believe, more so than goaltenders getting cold. So we'll see. <laughs> I'm always skeptical when I see shooting percentages that are that are way too high and the the assumptions that we make about it. But make no mistake about it, like like Hackstall's done a really good job uh with this team. One thing in here, okay, so Joe Pavelski scores the hat-trick goal, all right? So Pavelski scores the hat-trick goal, and did you not get the sense that at that exact moment, Dallas was starting to gain a whole ton of momentum, and there was a legit concern, and you saw this with, with Peter DeBoer and maybe even with Joe Pavelski as well. The hats hit the ice, and they're like, no, no don't we can't take like four or five minutes to yeah. clean the hats off the ice guys i appreciate it this is fine i get the tradition but could we just keep playing hockey right now like if i'm seattle and pavelski's like pistol hot and he scores the hat trick goal i'm like great because you know what's going to happen now we're all going to reset and i know fans don't think like that at that time like oh yeah you know what let's keep the momentum going they just want to celebrate a hat trick and especially with someone returning like Joe Pavelski, so they chuck him on the ice. I don't know, man. I If I'm Pavelski and I'm Pete DeBoer, if I'm the Dallas Stars, I'm like, everybody, thank you. Much appreciated. Keep your hats on. We want to keep playing. We want to keep the momentum going. But then, sure enough, Joe Pavelski scored almost right after, which was his fourth goal, uh, fourth goal of the game. Okay, um, you want to do the dumb conversation now because it involves the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so here's the potentially dumb conversation. You can tell me whether you think this is ridiculous or whether there's some there there. Elliot, and again, it was like 2.30 in the morning, so he didn't want to bite. But in the Florida Panthers game against the Maple Leafs last night, 4-2 is the final. Brandon Montour continues this amazing season. Brandon Montour, has, as a defenseman, folks, six goals in eight games. And I can still remember, you know, uh, with San Diego, whenever I'd check in, with the AHL goals, the affiliate of the Anaheim Ducks, and you know, talk to talk to Marty Williford or talk to Dallas Akins uh, about Montour. It was always, well, the kid can skate. He joins every rush. He gets caught out of position when he goes up the ice, but because he's such a great skater, he's able to get back into position quickly. 
And we've seen a lot of players like that historically. Uh, P.K. Subban was like that in junior with Belleville. Vince Dunn was like that uh, in junior with the Niagara Ice Dogs. Um, but Brandon Montour is very much that guy. But it really is amazing how much quieter his game has gotten. Like, he's still a great skater and dynamic and the whole deal. But he's just a smarter – it happens with age. Just a smarter player. Anyway, Montour continues his excellence. But in this game, Sam Bennett takes a double minor for a high stick on Ryan O'Reilly. And what got him the, uh, the, the, the second minor, the double minor, was the presence of blood. Right? He cut open Ryan O'Reilly. Um, do, 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 do. So rule 60.3, and that's the double minor penalty. Uh, stick above the shoulders, contact with the opponent's neck, face, or head, so that injury results in the manner of drawing blood or otherwise, the referee shall assess a double minor penalty. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we've always sort of defaulted to that, right? Oh, it's a minor for a high stick, but is there blood? That's going to determine it. What really determines it is, is there an injury? Now, the presence of blood sort of indicates that there is an injury, so we make that logical jump, but there is one step to go in between. Nonetheless, Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett gets a double minor on that. Do you have any issue with that call? The double minor for drawing blood in that specific, and it's a very specific instance. Do you have a problem with that, Maddie? Trust me, I'm going somewhere here. So, generally speaking, no. And this is, and I'll be full, fully honest. Um, I am a tr- member of the Toronto Maple Leafs fan club, but in that moment, what I didn't like was that. <laughs> Was to and this is full disclosure. I didn't like the penalty call because it happened so late after. Like they missed it. There was no penalty in the immediate aftermath of it happening. They see yeah. blood. There's complaining, and then they make the call afterwards. That's kind of my okay. thing on it. So I, I didn't. I didn't love okay. it just because it wasn't originally called. Okay. Here, here's where I want to go with this one. Okay. Again, at 2.25 in the morning, Elliot was not having any part of this conversation. Let's see if I can drag you into deep water here in this conversation. See if you can tread some water. So <clears throat> visors were made mandatory in the NHL in 2013. Now, they were grandfathered, and these were visors, you know, mandatory for players that have played, you know, um, uh, uh, 25 games or more, or, or less, rather. Um, uh, visors made mandatory in the NHL 2013. Now, they were grandfathered, so if you weren't wearing a visor before, you didn't have to wear one. And I think we're all wondering, oh, who's going to be the Craig McTavish of visors? Who's going to be the last one standing? You know, who's, who's going visorless in the NHL? And maybe it is Ryan O'Reilly. Who knows? But he chooses not to wear a visor. Now, if another player, I don't know, Mitch Marner, got that same high stick from Sam Bennett... It's not going to hit his face. There's not going to be a double minor because he's forced to wear a visor. But because you're choosing not to wear that visor, you have the ability in that circumstance to draw the extra minor. Should that be a discussion point? When you've made the choice not to wear the visor, the visor could have kept the extra minor from going on to Sam Bennett. Should that be part of the consideration when you're an official? I know right now it's not. Like, I want to get this out of the way. Like, n- nothing's going to change right now. This is sort of an appeal to, 
you know, to, to Colin Campbell and Stephen Walkham and various general managers around the NHL to maybe have this discussion. If you're choosing, and albeit you are allowed, if you're choosing to not wear a visor, should that extra minor be attached? Or did that happen because you chose not to protect your face? <laughs> oh man, Jeff, I've been smiling the whole time that you've been explaining this because I can see why Frege <laughs> did not want it. Like, what was Frege's exact answer uh, to this? Is is he doing anything illegal? I'm like, no, Elliot, that's not the point. I'm thinking of a bigger picture here, but it's but it's two two twenty in the morning. And he just talked about driving past the Dairy Queen. And he wanted some ice cream, and I think at that point he kind of checked out on the podcast. <laughs> so okay, so. Uh, and I can't wait for you to get the text from Coley Campbell or Stephen Walkham with this idea because it's going to be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I we'll say see. I say no only because he is allowed to. And also, we have no way of knowing. I mean, in theory, we have no way of actually knowing if he was wearing a visor that that would not have happened. So I don't think it's I mean right between his eyes, Maddie. <laughs> I well, he got on the outside. Night, I wasn't he got on the outside night. of the eye. Yeah, I get, I get uh, it. I get it. I get what you're saying. But, I mean, we you can't yeah. make that rule for... I don't even... I was trying to look up how many guys do not wear a visor, and it's a short list. Like, the guys off the top of my head I can I think of are Cassian, O'Reilly, Wayne Simmons. Hmm. Um, it's a short Ryan list. Reeves. Ryan Reeves. Yeah, it's not a very long list. So no. that, I, I, oh man, this is, this is like your, your green ice idea. I'm pretty sure. Like it is. No, 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 it's no. The, kinda, no that, that's it's, just like, it's aesthetics. this there. is a rule. I'm trying to actually, if, trying to affect the game here. Actually, I'm trying to get something in the rule book here. Could you, you know, could I've you imagine the rule? <laughs> yes, I know. Could you imagine the outcry if again, in a situation, I mean, last night, less so because there was only whatever 28 or 29 seconds left when the penalty actually happened. But could you imagine the outcry in a game where a team is down a guy's bloodied up and it's like, Oh, well, sorry, we're just going to give him two because he chose to not protect his face. And that (laughs) right there would be, first of all, that's your dream. That kind of chaos. That is absolutely your dream. Madness. Everyone else wore um, a visor. You wore one. Hey, Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly, you wore one when you played junior with the Erie Otters. But you that was 100 years ago. People told me, yeah, you wore a, <laughs> You used to wear a cage. Yeah, literally more than half of my yeah. hockey life, I did not wear a cage. Just like Ryan O'Reilly's been doing yeah. it for more than half of his hockey life. So to go to a... Anyway, regardless. The point being, you know um, I know... <laughs> I know you want to. I know you want to have change done here. I can't see that one, Jeff. I really can't see that. All one. right. You know this is my latest thing to annoy people around the league, right? Yes, like, I do. All my phone calls. You be like, oh yeah, you know what? Before I let you go, you know, I'm just thinking about something here. <laughs> Coley's gonna get ahead of it just and call you ahead of time. He's not gonna let you we call live him to annoy people. No, <laughs> change his number. Um, <laughs> one thing I do want to point out before I give, give way to John Bartlett here, and I, I mentioned off the top, this might just turn into the Matthew Kachuk Appreciation Hour. Um, three points last night, nine hits, 20 minutes and 45 seconds of ice time. And, you know, um, Jim Montgomery had mentioned that ultimately the Boston Bruins didn't have an answer uh, for that Sam Bennett line with, uh, with Kachuk and Cousins. Cousins kicks off the scoring last night. Um, Kachuk with three points. Um, I know it's just game one, but 
the Maple Leafs last night didn't have an answer for that line either. And also the Maple Leafs didn't have an answer for the Florida Panthers' speed. And that became really obvious to the point where I think we're wondering if there's going to be a change on the blue line or you see the Maple Leafs go 11-7 and next game. What do you think? Uh, I would not be surprised. I don't think 11 and 7 is something they want to do all the time, but when it calls for it, I think they could. Nope. I thought that the I thought the Brody McCabe pairing was no bueno at all last night. Uh, Jake McCabe got caught on the on the Verhage yeah. goal, and honestly, Jeff, I, I think that there is a path to success here for Toronto in slowing them down, and it's something they did really well against Tampa in a few of the games, and that's being really physical on the forecheck and not allowing them to gain speed out of the zone. They just didn't do that last night. I thought that they didn't answer yeah. Florida physically, and that was a massive problem. Florida kind of did what they want in terms of breaking out last night. It was too easy, so I think that's mm-hmm. where I think that's where you can kind of slow them down. And frankly, like I love Matthew Kachuk. I think he's one of the best players in the league. It feels like they almost paid too much attention to him. They were almost too aware when he was on the ice to the point where guys were backing off pucks when he was around, and that's a problem. Okay, you mentioned we're going to go to break on this one. Bartlett's coming up on the other side. You mentioned you're a card-carrying Toronto Maple Leafs supporter. I am. That's you. Matty Marchese, right? Okay. <clears throat> Let's go back to the Buffalo draft. Okay? Oh, you're, gonna, you're not going to do this to me. Austin Matthews goes first overall. <laughs> okay? Matthew Kuchuk slides down to the Calgary Flames. One game, winner take all. You pick one player, either Austin Matthews or Matthew Kuchuk. Who do you take? I know how to win in the playoffs, so it's one I hate game. To do, I, I hate. I <laughs> hate to game. do this. I hate to do this. Maple and I'm gonna get, fan, one game. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get killed for this, but the answer is Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. As we say across the pond, controversy, Matt Marchese, controversy. Uh, on that, we'll hit a break. Um, thank you, Matty. We'll check back a little bit later on after we talk to Greg Wyshynski at the top of the hour and John Bartlett. From the NHL and Sportsnet at Hockey Night in Canada. Next, uh, the Pavelski four-game performance, uh, the Seattle win, and memories of Paul Maurice as Bartz was the play-by-play voice of the Marlies when Paul Maurice was their head coach. That's all still to come on the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The takes are coming in. about my... uh little thought experiment with Matt Marchese about uh, if you don't, if you choose not to wear a visor, should that disqualify players from taking double minors on you if you're cut? Anyhow, uh, some of them are coming in and some of them are interesting. Some of them are chuckle worthy. Uh, The Canucks last great captain, if that is indeed your real name, submits full cage helmets are an option for everyone. So we should eliminate the double minor for everyone because players are choosing not to wear full cages. Well, I guess if logically you take the next step, that does make sense. The Harvester sends this one. Again, if that is your real name, indeed, the Harvester. You can't prove for sure the visor would have prevented it. The blade could have still cut him. 
The debate rages. Uh, John Bartlett joins me now. Play-by-play voice, Hockey Night in Canada, NHL on Sportsnet. We're going to talk about Pavelski and the Kraken and the Dallas Stars, but I want to talk about Paul Maurice initially. John, how are you today, buddy? I'm great. Jeffy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. I, I want to talk about that game last night. That was an emotional roller coaster. Um, that was a great performance, albeit in a losing effort by Joe Pavelski. But I want to ask you initially, just go down memory lane here. Let's get the, the soft lens for John Bartlett here. Um, let's go back to the when, when you and I first met, working together. You were working with the Marlies. I was doing some color uh, with the team. You were the main voice, the play-by-play voice of the Marlies. And, you know, Paul Maurice is is, is the head coach. What are some of your memories of talking to Paul, watching Paul, riding the bus with Paul? When I say the name Paul Maurice to John Bartlett, what comes to your mind? Yeah, you know, really good communicator, I I think. And, you know, he was always uh, uh, thoughtful with his words, um, uh, careful when he had it to be at at times, and uh, always enjoyed the conversations that we had, both, you know, on air and off air. Um, and, and I thought, for at least the dealings I had uh, with Mo, I thought uh, very fair as well. So um, there's, uh, you know, there's there's a good, I think, a good respect you get out of Paul Maurice. I think a lot of people sort of see that, um, you know, and that he knows how to handle uh, the media, especially uh, when it comes to big markets. Yeah, so yeah. he knows how to handle it in, in the situation like this. But, but when it comes to the team, I, I think sort of just, you know, uh, direct. You don't see Paul Maurice get as fired up uh, as he did in that game in Toronto that everyone talks about that probably saved the Panthers' season. That doesn't come <laughs> out uh, all the time. Uh, so when it does, yeah. uh, I think it's sort of, it's hurt. You know, the one funny thing, if you go back and watch the video of that with Paul Maurice going up and down the bench and kids don't read lips, um, Matthew Kachuk has constant eye contact with Paul Maurice the whole time. Sometimes when you have a coach going up and down a bench and, and really giving it to the team, guys have their head down and are looking down there. Hmm. Kachuk is locked on to Maurice the whole time. And I thought that that said something pretty important. And you look at how Matthew Kachuk has played and here in the playoffs, and those are two guys that are on the same page. Uh, and I just thought it was interesting the way that Kachuk was locked in, even though they were getting it from their coach, um, dialed into that. So it kind of tells you, that the message was received, I would think. And, you know, um, yeah. that that's probably a good reason why Florida's doing the way they're doing so far. And, you know, and, uh, I loved afterwards where not only did did, um, did Paul Maurice own the entire moment in front of the microphones, but also then talked about his dad and essentially said, oh, you think my tongue is salty. You should have heard the old man. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, Paul just I think, totally understands how to dive. You know, the the, the, the one takeaway that I have in, in my brief time with the Marlies and you and, and, and Paul Maurice is I can't tell you how many different times we had conversations and I think maybe it's because it was right after a Syracuse game when, you know, there was one player who really had a reputation for diving, I think, you know, lured John Paul into to, to two different diving, and to, to two separate minors, both of them were dives, and this one player who shall remain nameless just really had the rep for it. And I just remember how disgusted Paul was. I just remember the conversation and just watching him on the bench. Like, there's one thing to be frustrated by it. Oh, we just got lured into one. We just got suckered into one. I just remember, like, talking to Paul afterwards and just, like, hearing the disgust in his voice about the game and that call and what it does to the game. That That's one of the big takeaways that I took with my interactions with Paul is just how much he thought about the game itself and not just his team in the game. You know what I'm getting mm-hmm. at there, Bartz? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's a 
And from that standpoint, you know, you, you talk about hockey lifers. I think he kind of is a hockey lifer. And, and you know, I even know stories from, from his playing days back in, in Windsor with um, teammates of his that still speak highly of him now and, and, you know, sort of how he had that, you know, love and respect for the game then and that passion that goes through uh, that you still see with him. So, um, yeah, that, that, that pretty much would define um, how he looks at the game. Uh, I think he's a thinker of the game, uh, a student of the game, but also someone that that likes to have the ultimate respect for the game too. So, um, you know, that's that's yeah. probably why it's such a good mix for him that he's lasted as long as he has as head coach in the National Hockey League. Okay, so going into last night's Seattle Dallas game, uh, we looked at this and said, "Ooh, you know what? Two of the best goalies from the first round. This is going to be awesome." You know, with all due respect to Igor Shosturkin, who was great for the Rangers. Um, these are two of the best goaltenders in the first round. Ottinger is all-world. Are we watching the next Carey Price? And Philip Grubauer just stuck it to his old team. I think they quibbled over, I think it was like $200,000. And that was the difference between him staying in Colorado and, and him going to Seattle. Um, but it didn't turn out to be about the goaltenders at all. I think it was probably their two worst performances in the playoffs uh, that we've seen so far. Instead, we were talking about Joe Pavelski and the four goals, and we're talking about how relentless and never say die the Kraken are, and we'll talk about Yanni Gord clutch uh, in overtime and a really, really tricky finish uh, to that one in a game that I don't know how you felt, but I kind of felt like this thing was going like two or maybe three overtimes the way that it was shaping up. But but coming out of all of that last night, John, what were your main takeaways about that game? Well, first of all, it's funny because before the game, we were talking, Gary Galli and I, and, uh, what kind of a game do you think we're going to see? And, you know, Seattle coming off the, the seven-game win against Colorado, rest versus rust, uh, that whole sort of talk. And the goaltending came up. And and Gals was sort of thinking, yeah, we might have a low-scoring game. I said, I don't know. I'm kind of kind of feeling like maybe a five-four overtime game tonight or something <laughs> like that. And that's exactly what we ended up with. So of course, all everyone on the crew was giving it to me at four-four when it's going to overtime because I said that out loud. Yeah, five-four OT tonight. But what an exciting game! What a way to start a series. I mean, you know, when when you think about what's yeah. Dallas and Seattle meeting for the first time, how's it going to go? How are they going to feel each other out? The goaltenders, as you said, with the story. Pavelski coming back. How's this going to go? Well, gets them on the board right out of the gate. The buildings are. Yeah. They were fired up for Pavelski in the warm-up to see him back. And he gets the game going. And Seattle gets three goals in 52 seconds. And, and all of a sudden, it was like the switch went on. And bang, we're in a series. And it's in game one. And then the Stars trailing. And Pavelski gets the hat trick. Then he gets the fourth. And the building's going crazy. And they're standing up and all that energy in there. And then into overtime, you didn't know. Like, in Seattle, were you going to get that one chance? But the Stars had the momentum going into overtime. And what way would it carry over? But I'll give you a, this is a little insider for yourself and all the viewers out there. A little inside funny story about last okay. night's game. So where we're positioned in Dallas, uh, we're down in the in the seats, uh, sort of there, in the 200 level. There's a broadcast platform there. So there's a fan seated in front of us. So... Pavelski has now tied the game at 4-4, and for the rest of the third period, everyone is standing, and all through the overtime, everyone is standing, which is great. They're into it, and I love it. But in Dallas, of course, everything is bigger in Texas, including the hats that fans wear. And this one particular gentleman in front of me was wearing an enormous Stetson hat while standing up for the rest of the third (laughs) period and the overtime. So if you're, if anyone was wondering what the heck was going on late in the third in overtime, I was trying to duck, dip, dive, dodge everything I could around this fan <laughs> with his big hat because I couldn't see half the ice in front of me every time he would 
turn his head or he's moving with the play and I'm trying to go the opposite way to see who has the puck and, and dive around this, this big, enormous hat that was in front of me. And, and we're chuckling about it at the same time. Like, where else would you be? But Dallas had a big Stetson is blocking the view of the ice here, especially in the <laughs> overtime. But but they were fired up and into it. And, uh, you know, then we were wondering, was Pavelski going to get, wouldn't that have been something if he had the fifth for the overtime winner? But Yanni Gord, you know, how many wow. times have we seen it in these playoffs? Throw the puck on that, and in it goes, and another road team wins. So so here becomes the question then for Joe Pavelski. Elliot and I were batting this around uh, last night on the podcast. I'm sure there's a temptation to reunite him with the big line, the number one line, the the with all due respect to every other line in the NHL, the best line in the NHL. Um, you know, with with Rupe Hens and, and Jason Robertson, or yeah. do you leave him on that line with Mason Marchman and Max Domi? By the way, Max Domi was awesome last night. With the oh, he was all over the ice. Really yeah. engaged oh, all yeah. over the ice. He was Max Domi was fantastic last night. Um, so, what do you do? do you, I mean, my default is you leave him there, right? Like yeah. It's it's cooking with gas. Domi's cooking. Marchman's cooking. Obviously, Pavelski is. But then, how do you not? reunite the top line in the National Hockey League. It's a, I guess it's a nice problem to have if you're Peter DeBoer, but it's a problem nonetheless. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would lean towards your way for now. Um, I would leave it because I think it, it causes a little more trouble for Seattle when they have to worry about uh, them split up. I think maybe there's a little uh, focus on the one line if they're all together, but if, if uh, Robertson and Hintz can't get going, then you might have to make that shuffle in game two. That might be an in-game adjustment. I, I would be inclined to leave it the way it was uh, to start, but yeah, there is that other side of the argument saying, okay, it was the Kraken five and Pavelski four, um, so you need, you know, you might need to spread that out. That's the one thing about Seattle. Um, you know, everyone talks about Seattle's game as, as being a whole team. Uh, the scoring is spread out over four lines there, and they had 15 different players score a goal, you know, coming into the game last night, and, and to just see their balance. So, um, you know, that's maybe the danger if you don't want to get caught having everything loaded up on one line, you have the balance. But um, I, I think you would be hard-pressed to switch Pavelski off at least to start the game. But if you're going along and nothing's going offensively, then at least you have that in your pocket. Um, that might be the easier switch, right? Okay, we got to get something going. You put Pavelski back on that line, and now they're going, and maybe that gets them a little bit. If you start that way and you're having trouble, now you have to switch back to this way that you went and hope that that's going to go. And if it doesn't, maybe you're in a little more trouble or maybe I'm overthinking it too much. But um, it, it, would, it would be hard uh, to switch that line the way – you know, they played with four goals for Pavelski. But as you said, Domi was all over the ice, too, and, and a big factor in that line. So yeah. I'd be hard-pressed at least to start the game um, to, to leave the lines the way they are. I wouldn't, I wouldn't split them to at least start the game. Yeah, let, let me finish with, with, um, with something that we've sort of already winked at. I, I mentioned the story with Paul Maurice and, and diving with, you know, how much it, it disgusts them. And, you know, I don't know that it's becoming – you know, a uh, an, an epidemic around the NHL. Um, but again, you know, we saw the the time you mentioned Yanni Gord. Gord went right at Tyler Sagan after the call. Um, Adam Larson on Tyler Sagan in the corner. Does he hit mm-hmm. him from behind? Absolutely he does. Is that a penalty? For sure it is. Um, but then Sagan goes down to his knees and then does the slow fall over to his left, trying to, you know, make sure that everybody knows that he just got hit 
uh, from behind, and you know, the, it's you know, it's it's probably penalty worthy. I thought Kevin Bieksa had some interesting comments in the intermission about it, and talked about you know players that get sticks in the face, even if it's a little bit of a tap. You just want to make sure that everybody knows, like, hey, I just got hit in the face here. I just earned yeah. a penalty, and I want to make sure that that this that this penalty call is made. It's such a fine. Like I've always drawn the line between embellishment and diving. I think all players embellish because part of your job out there is to try to draw penalties, get your team on the power play. You do so, you go back to the bench, coach gives you a cookie and everybody's happy. But at a certain point, embellishment turns into diving. And I think that's where people really get uncomfortable. What I'm asking you here is we're, we're seeing a lot of this lately, or it feels like we're seeing a lot of this. I don't know whether it is because there is a lot of this or because power plays are so good that they're effective and it feels like there's a lot more because goals are being scored. We've got about a minute and a half here, John. Are we seeing more of this? Is this bordering on we need to do something about this? Officials need to call this more? Where are you right now on the embellishment slash diving in the league? Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with you a little. You know, there is a difference between embellishment and diving. Sagan, for sure, I think added a little flair to make sure he got the call. And you know what? It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, goals come at a premium. Power plays are important. Every little edge or advantage you can try and get, uh, if that gets you a call or a power play, you go for. So, um, you know, are are we in a worse scenario? I don't know. I think players certainly are are more aware that, uh, you know, a little extra sauce uh, on the wing will, will maybe get to the call. And, and it's just trying to find an edge. I think that's, that's what everything's about, always trying to find the little extra edge over your opponent. Um, I think we have to monitor it if you do get into a situation where you have blatant dives going left, right, and center. But that's probably where we're also now we have a little more review involved for the bigger calls that referees can have a look at. So um, I think it's more so players just trying to find that little extra edge for their team wherever they can along the way. I think that's a great saying. A little extra sauce on the wing. That is such a Bart yeah. thing. I just love it. Um, <laughs> a little, put a little extra sauce on the wing. Uh, oh, you're the goods man. Oh, great call me. last night. You, you, <laughs> that's right. Uh, great call last night. Uh, this series looks like a lot of fun, uh, and it's in good hands. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, Barts. Yeah, you bet. Take care, Jeffy. There is uh, John Bartlett uh, in association with Gary Galley handling uh, the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken. Kraken draw first blood. They win in overtime yesterday. 5-4 is the final. Yanni Gord is the hero. Pause. Reset. Catch your breath. It's Greg Wyshynski time. He's in New York for breakup day. What's happening with the Rangers? That answer next. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And I'm asking this question to Matt Marchese. Do you hate me, Matt Marchese? No, and I'll tell you why. I think that... I think other people agree with my assessment of Matthew Kachuk versus Austin Matthews because I have not gotten one text message from anyone, and I know they listen to the show, so that's so it's all it's all good for now. Okay, so if you redid that draft, would um, Matthew Kachuk go first overall, not Austin Matthews? Oh boy, I still think Austin Matthews would go first. Overall. <laughs> 
No, but to you, if you were drafting, if you were at that moment, we'll take you back in time, knowing how the future was going to play out. You're Lou Lamarillo going up there. Are you saying Matthews or are you saying Kachuk? I know I'm trying to make this really, really, really hard on you as a Maple Leafs fan. Yeah, it's it's probably, I, I, I like a certain type of player because it's a player that I wasn't, and Matthew Kachuk's at the top of that list. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I get Oh, because you were much, much closer to Austin Matthews. No, 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 no. Pump the brakes. No, 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 no. I'm talking about that type of player. Like, I I always appreciated the guys that did the things that other players wouldn't. Going into dirty areas, playing physical, all that stuff. I just have more of an appreciation for those guys. Not that I don't have an appreciation for legendary goal scorers. Keep digging. You know, you never hit rock bottom, Matty. You can only decide to stop digging. Right about now, you might want to start thinking about stopping digging. I have no, I'm not comparing myself to any of these guys. <laughs> I, I'm talking to you right now, for God's sake. <laughs> Look, dude, I'm, I'm really tired. It gets a miracle. I've almost made it through two hours. I know that no one wants to hear, you know, sports broadcasters harp on their hours. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm on like coffee number five here and. I'm just happy that I've gone through the uh, the entire program and sounded semi-coherent and been able to hold, you know, certain conversations for the lengths that I have. So I'm getting a little punchy towards the end of the show here. Probably going to you know, go for a walk or go for you know, hop on the bike or something. So I'm just I'm just in a good mood right now, Maddie, that I made it through. Well, we're almost we got there. In mind. Okay, so um, this is this is it's a story that like if you know who this guy is, I mean, God, then I can't. There's no story that I can give you that is gonna surprise you but um does the name does the name peter good ring a bell to you peter good no who's peter good okay so this is where now now it's it's a sad it's it's a sad story in that peter good just passed away we're not sure of the age but peter good and this is from paul lucas who's on twitter does a lot of things with uh uniforms um peter good was the guy who designed the hartford whalers logo and the interesting ah. thing, the interesting thing about Peter Good is that it was a it was a work for hire gig with a company. It was an ad agency, and they were working with the with the Whalers. Um, he was not a hockey fan. He was not a sports fan. He had never designed a sports logo, and never would design a sports logo again. But gave us the gift of the Hartford Whalers logo. He passed away um, oh, after it, two weeks. He was in hospice care after two weeks following the removal of a brain tumor. It was announced by his uh, his wife on, on mm. Facebook last night. So we send our condolences to the Good family, but yeah. thank you to Peter Good for giving us that logo. Was it the Hartford? I'm going to get like really Pacific, as we say in the Atlantic. Was it the Hartford Whalers logo or was it the New England Whalers logo. It was the Hartford Whalers logo. Here? Uh, that's a beauty. Listen, bless you, Peter Good. Um, listen, brain cancer is, uh, is, a, is a tough one for me. That's how my mom passed away so many years ago as well. So I can sympathize for any family that goes through that. Um, yeah, when you talk about, like, I, I don't know that um, maybe this is for like, you know, shows as the season winds down and we have, you know, some more time to, to stretch out, but. I'd be all in on doing on doing uniform talk and the history of them and specifically logos. Now, logos are real logos are really tough to design. Like tough to to they, they conceptually they're hard to come up with and capturing the vibe and the flavor and and the whole deal. Like I've always 
Yeah, I've always defaulted. And if you're watching on 360, you can see the old Toros um, logo behind me right now. Cleveland uh, from the WHA as well. It, it's so hard, but that 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 Whalers logo is brilliant in its simplicity, and it's one of the ones that endures to this day. I still think I don't know who designed it, but the uh, the California Golden Seals, uh, both both the logo and also the um uh the 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 colors were were brilliant and beautiful um and i'll tell you another one now you got me thinking about this one i want to know and it's a probably a really quick google search here too as we as we uh, we wind down the program um the original pittsburgh penguin logo i like the 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 penguins logo where the penguin actually looked like a penguin had the boiler you know the pot belly the whole deal um, and then sort of slowly over the years, the, I don't know, the penguins started doing CrossFit or something and got sort of more athletic and got a little bit more jacked. I remember, um, the, now you got me thinking about this, Maddie, the Hershey bears did this. Okay. The Hershey bears did this with their mascot, Coco, the bear. Do you know this? Did I ever share this one with you? I, I really so. hated it. So the Hershey Bears a long time had this had this mascot, and they always had like a really cool bear logo. Like the old Hershey Bears logo it looks really cool. I love it. I love all Bears logos, really, when it comes down to it. But Hershey Bears had a really cool one, and they had a mascot called Coco, and it looked like a bear with like, you know, a belly full of salmon as bears look. And I don't know, someone in the organization, maybe someone in marketing thought that it was, it was a bad image to present, and so all of a sudden, like, I don't know, like... Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Coco the Bear went to CrossFit or started to do, you know, Olympic lifts and, and really leaned out and got all jacked. And that was the bear they presented the next season. And this is how trivial and how, you know, trivial my life is. I really hated it. Like, it really bugged me. And I, I don't really know why. It's like I'm a grown man. Why am I bothered about what they've done with the mascot here in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania with the bears? But it really bothered me what they did to Coco because that's not how I see a bear. And that's not... A bear. A bear is supposed to be like the original Coco the bear. So somewhere down the road here, Maddie, let's park some time to talk about logos and uniforms and the evolution and also maybe park some time to talk about mascots and the phenomenon of jacked mascots. That's why I like the, I always used to like the, um, uh, the Iowa Chops. Now, I know they did some things that, you know, ended up getting them in a lot of trouble in the American Hockey League, and Dave Andrews kicked them out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, they used to have these guys at the intermission. The, I can't believe I'm going down this road. The Iowa Chops. They'd bring out, like, the, uh, I can't remember what they were called. They were three dancers. They were dudes, overweight guys, that came out in first or second intermission and danced at center ice with their tops off. And you know what they were called? So What's good. That? The pork belly futures. <laughs> oh my god! The Hockey's rabbit holes awesome, we go down. Man. Hockey's on really this good. Show. Peter, Peter, good, bless you, and 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 condolences to the good family uh, for giving hockey one of the great and still to this day enduring logos quick spot quiz for me as california seals your favorite nhl logo from the past can i go wha oh please do on this program all day long and if, and if we're doing wha then i got i gotta say toros or minnesota fighting saints it's the minnesota fighting saints and it's the minnesota fighting saints by a long shot for me it is a eh? yeah i love it they i love one, that logo the um the uh 
the Miami Screaming Eagles was really good. Um, Philadelphia Blazers was good. San Diego had a great one. Um, you got to throw the Cincinnati Stingers in there. And it's funny, too, hey? You know, whenever I hear the name Rick Dudley, I, I, the, the image that comes into my mind is the, him playing for the Cincinnati Stingers with the bandana. That's another game we should play one of these days on the show, Matty. Here's another idea. Write this down, Matty. Um, we'll do like a, a word association. Like, who do you see this player as? Just throwing out like random names from history. Who, which jersey do you see him in? Which uniform do you see him in? This is essentially show prep live on the air, which is entertaining to two people. You and me. And maybe only even me. Thanks to Jen Rolnick. Thanks to Lance Kennedy. Thanks to Matt Marchese. All of our guests, John Bartlett and Greg Wyshynski. Enjoy the games tonight. 22 hours later, we talk about it here on The Merrick Show.